son of a bitch. Fuck this guy. You're wearing a flannel, too. What an asshole. <laughs> I look hot. <laughs> Fucking El Borland. I here. love how self-satisfied I, it looks every time he takes a drink from his beer. I can Although, ride my bike with uh, no handlebar. You said oh, that boy. in the fucking Flowbot song during the actual film I'm viewing. Sorry, I'm a Flowbot super freak. <laughs> yeah. You're not. One album, man, and they actually, they said it all. Actually, they have two albums. Do they really? Yeah, they do. No one why do you that know second. that? I don't know why. I, mean, I don't know that, and I'm quoting the song. I don't know why I know that. I don't even. No listen one listened to that second album. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we're going to be discussing the Sundance film from 2016, which is First Girl I Love, directed by Karim Senga. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 93 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the usual co-host, Nick Cheney. Hey, hey, hey! And Toussaint Egan. Hey! What's up, Alex? Oh, what's up, buddy? Are you excited to be here? Oh, yeah. Toussaint's like a little it. too excited to be here. Yeah. He really enjoyed the film that we're talking about today. I know, because I saw his Indeed. very animated reaction. See, the problem with watching reactions. a film with Toussaint is that you, <laughs> There's need, no problem. you need two chairs. The chair you put him in and the chair he'll end up in by the end of the movie. <laughs> and another problem, too, with that is he sometimes has reactions that you don't expect. Which isn't necessarily a problem, but as we saw when the three of us went to go see the Neon Demon, as I participated in these actions... I was going to say, that wasn't just a Tucson. It wasn't just me. Don't you pin that on me. And it wasn't just the two of us, either. Uh, It was other people in the theater, other than you. And so we were emboldened. But, but at the same time, Tucson has very animated reactions. You know, I expected it from the people under the age of 18, but I did not expect it from my colleagues here at Film Tank. (laughs) That's all I'll say about that. Tucson has very animated reactions, mostly... In home viewing, and this time was no different when we watched this film, and it was fan fucking tastic. So thank you, Tusad. I'm, I'm being genuine. You're welcome. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Also, back to join us for the first time in a little bit because obviously he has work to do. So who is happens? this person? Makes... I know it's been too long, but I would like to say this. I think this is my fifth appearance. Yeah, uh, yeah. At film tank. really? So, yes, believe right. it or not. So. Batman versus Superman was okay. my I uh, count triumphant this out. Okay. Uh, introduction, and then uh, villains, villains okay. episode. Yep. Oh yeah, and then Rashomon, and then right, I think two weeks in a row, was yes. boom, boom, and then it was born. Yes. Oh Absolutely. shit! Yeah. yeah. So this is number I think five. You it's are the most guest for sure. The most guest yeah. for that's sure. A, that's the a title. Guest. And your name, name is uh, Brian Garrett Turnbow. Is here. Well, we do get a middle name. Holy fuck! I am a little un. You know, I, I hate to inform you of this, but we do have a five-episode limit for our guests, so it's uh, going to be sad to see boo. you go. That's Sorry. actually <laughs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about the, yeah. uh, the... If I leave now, I can still come back for uh, co- that is coherence, true. right? Make your choice. 
<laughs> Live or die. I was just going to say, way to go, fucking Jigsaw. That's your <laughs> fucking asshole. I want to play a game. Yeah, that was a terrible impression. I didn't want to like actually get into it. it clearly honest. not. Because we, it did wasn't a, even close. we did a whole episode on Saw, and he was not all that into it. <laughs> well, the problem with doing an eight episodes Saw episode in an hour and a half I mean, is eight that. eight film, like a... Oh, okay. yeah, I got you. Yeah, anyway. I got you. Yeah. Sorry, I got man. you. Seven I, film, fine. really. I got Seven. you. Are you yeah. including the, the future film that we haven't seen? No. Is there, I, mean, I, I would assume that there's a promised Saw in the future, I think future, you're thinking right? of Harry I mean, Potter. The, no. Probably. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, I kind of lost count on the Saw That's film, okay. to be totally honest with you. But we did a whole episode talking about all those films. And yeah, after the first few, it got pretty bare when talking about the other films. Well, so did the movies. Yes, so it fit right in. Yeah. The film we are talking about today is... Saw a- 8! <laughs> that was a really good teaser by our us. I th- that was great. No, all of us. I'm, I'm patting ourselves in the back. A film that me and Nick touched on in our Sundance Review episode earlier this year, but now the four of us uh, were able to finally view it. Thank you very much to online streaming. And we all watched it together, and I'm um, very excited to hear Toussaint and especially Brian's thoughts mm. on this film, which is First Girl I Loved, a, a film that debuted at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival and won the Audience Award for the Best of the Next competition at uh, that year's festival. Uh, the film is directed by Karim Senga. I hope I'm saying that right. He also uh, was the writer and uh, director of another film uh, called The Young Kieslowski. Kieslowski. Yeah. And that movie always disappoints me because (laughs) I'm a huge fan of the Polish filmmaker uh, Krzysztof Kieslowski. So I always assume it's a biopic about the young Kieslowski, but it's not. Okay. It's just about a young person named Kieslowski. That that is a problem. (laughs) That film also uh, actually, though, stars Haley Lou Richardson, who we just saw. Uh, when we went to go see Edge of Seventeen last week, so there you go. Who was she in Edge of Seventeen? She was Is she the, the friend? best friend okay. who then gets with the brother. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah. So, anyways, this film uh, stars Dylan Gulow playing yeah. Anne. Wow. I don't think I said that Good right. Job. Thanks, buddy. Uh, also starring Brianna Hildebrand, which most people would probably know from her role in the film Deadpool. Golden Globe nominated Deadpool. Please show some respect. Yeah. <laughs> Playing uh, one of the failed X-Men, uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yep. Yep. She's a pretty good X-Man. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. Her good. and Cyclops. They were great. That's not Cyclops. Nope. I've had too much to drink. That's Colossus. Colossus. There it is. All right. I am so sorry. No problem. So anyways, getting back to this episode that we're doing, uh, they are the main players. Let's not go on a Marvel tangent. (laughs) We just talked about that before starting this. It's great. The other two people who show up here that are of note are Carmen Cameron Esposito Esposito, and also Tim Heidecker. Heidecker. And Pamela Adlon. Come on. Okay, I'm sorry. Come There's on, a lot but... of uh, a ca- basic cable people showing up because you got Pamela Adlon, who is a uh, uh, always a partner of Louis C.K. Productions, and okay. who now has her own show, mm-hmm. co-produced by Louis C.K., but called yeah. Better Sing Than FX. Yeah. And, of course, Tim Eidecker of Adult Swim fame. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh, mm-hmm. Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. That's correct. I don't watch as much TV as you guys, so sorry. Apparently not. Yeah, I guess not. So this film uh, centers around a 17-year-old girl named Anne, who just fell in love with Sasha, the most popular girl at her local L.A. school. Uh, but when Anne tells... Don't we all? 
Anne tells her best friend Clifton, who has always harbored a secret crush, um, he does his best to get in the way. That is certainly a description of what this film is. It makes it sound like kind of a raucous comedy. You shall not pass! Um, but... Wow. Um... That's not funny after you watching the film. Yeah, (laughs) well, that's something. I'm cracking Uh, up. This is a very specific film that uh, when after we had our first episode earlier this year with Brian, uh, and we had talked about myself and Nick had talked about Sundance, and I mentioned that there was this one film that I really wanted him to see. We want to subject people to their worst nightmares. Well, no, specifically (laughs) because Brian is a high school teacher, and this revolves around um, very high school-involved things, and uh, hits some really interesting notes in this film, and um, I'm so excited that we get to do this episode with you, and obviously we just get to do an episode on Hyperion, because this is a, at least in my opinion, an absolutely fantastic film. That unfortunately uh, got absolutely no buzz, and really no one has seen it, and it's just too bad. Yep. So, um, on that note, who would like to start? I'll start. Okay, go ahead, Toussaint. Yeah, um, I gotta be totally honest. I absolutely forgot what film we were going to be reviewing <laughs> tonight. I know you texted me. I know. Yeah, I texted Nick while I was at work. I was like, "Oh fuck, what film are we doing?" I was like, "Did I forget to watch something?" Well, again? then I had to like, I'm like, "We're watching this, and you don't need to watch it because we're watching it together." And yep. you were like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, yeah, I appreciate. That's a little that. behind the scenes look at how Film Tank runs. Yeah, I was a little. <laughs> I was I was busy. And this all happened one hour before the actual. That's not it was actually <laughs> while we were we had just arrived, <laughs> but not, he didn't want to say anything in front not, of you. That's, that's actually not true. It <laughs> was much earlier in the day. Um, so yeah, I just got ready to sit down and watch this, and you know, and embrace this film that two of my colleagues like really enjoy. And I gotta say, this film is absolutely fucking beautiful. Yeah. Um, I can't. I, I I can't make jokes about it. It's like as as much as a as raucous of a of a first viewing as I did have with this film, just which like, he did. We I, promise. Did. I, I really did. Um, <laughs> one of these days we have to do an audio track um, for some film. Yeah, but I would have not picked this film though. Yeah, yeah. yeah track, this so. this film is absolutely beautiful. I am <laughs> I I am so happy that this didn't completely slide under my radar. This was Great. just a a a beautiful picture of of a tumultuous sexual awakening. It was a a, a uh, it was just so fucking great. I loved all the performances in it. I love the the camera work. I love the color grading. I love the 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 soundtrack. It was just so well done. The the, the thing that and the I, editing was fucking dope. Oh my god. The thing that I noticed when we first saw this film is that there were so many moments in terms of the physical filmmaking, whether it be editing, camera work, whatever. That I felt like, man, this really feels like something an amateur would do trying to make this film feel like... Like more important than it actually is. But has competency. It does. But at the same time, it it fits the vibe of what this film is is being. So it just really... I don't... Yeah. Yeah. I want to just kind of... uh, kind of go off of the, what you were saying about the brilliance of the editing for a second here. Yeah. So I, it, it dawned on me this one scene in particular. It was uh, on the bus, okay? And it was when she first sent out that one probing type of text, like, hey, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then it cut. And then it resumed back again. And Suggesting it, a last minute of time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that lapse of time to her must have felt like an eternity, mm-hmm. right? But in reality, if, what was it? Maybe all of like literally the actual time yeah. that we saw. And so I thought that was 
genius yeah. uh, in terms of like perception versus reality and i thought that was just uh, that was i knew that this was a film that was special even from that moment on specifically yeah. when you talk about editing too um the and even more so the second time for me viewing even though it was 10 months later from when i first saw the film at the festival in january earlier this year but the interesting use of um, structure in this film mm-hmm. is something that it yeah. seems like it's pretty easy to tease out, but then at the same time, it plays with you a little bit, and that is obviously even more so brought to the forefront at the end of the film uh, with the final shot of it, which, I, I mean, I don't even know necessarily if that is just suggesting certain things or whether that's even trying to, to point at, um, but, but just the... The way this film plays with structure and the way it has its hard edits, it feels, and I mean, obviously we just saw the film Inferno come out, which did horrible at the box office, but it feels like a hard sell. Where is this going? No, it feels like a hard sell at points Dan Brown or any, it's not great, but any Mm. novel that has multiple different stories that go throughout that try to, because no, like there are hard stops at moments and it makes you multiple times throughout the film kind of sit on the edge of your seat and want to know what would happen and transpire in a certain scene and you have to wait until who knows when because you don't know if it's going to be the next scene it, there's even a, a scene and we're the a, one of the f- three or four really pivotal scenes in the film which involves Clifton and Anne in uh, in the, the bedroom, bedroom uh which you kind of get dropped off thinking you have an idea of where it's going and then you get a whole bunch of uh, different context and context yeah. about the characters. Mm. And then you get the finale of that scene, which is somewhat, I feel like what I thought was going to happen, but then I also was surprised. And now you know more about the characters and then the whole idea of that all happening prior to all of the events that have transpired that you've seen already throughout the film. It's just, it just really plays with structure in this film. I feel like it's so easy to spot, but it feels complex to me at the I, same time. I will say one thing about the editing before I pass it back to you, Tucson. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Yeah. I. It was funny when I rewatched this movie with with you guys. It's been twelve months or so yeah. since I've seen it, and it's the movie I wouldn't say has fallen in my esteem, but I, it's somewhat faded. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been a year, you know. So I always started to wonder before we watched it. Well, then was it not as good as I thought it was? Whatever. And um, while I'll kind of talk about that later, one thing I was zeroing in on is whether the structure still works post a first time viewing you know like when you do know all of the stories and mm. you know uh the difference between uh i'm going to use cinematic uh terms here but yeah. the, the fabula and the skit set uh which refers to like there's a timeline of events in a movie that is the actual chronological timeline and then there's the actual narrative as laid out to the viewer and that's the mm-hmm. difference between like mementos fabula and skits that are different because we see it in one order but the actual order it happened is a different order and so here we have scenes that are very in my opinion cliched 90s indie movie very tarantino-esque as far as we are not uh we, we will revisit scenes almost at the director's whim uh now i think it's more complex than that but that's what it is on the surface and whatnot but Rewatching it, I will say, at like in the first twenty minutes, I was almost on the train of like, oh, maybe I don't like this movie that I thought I did because I, I just started mm-hmm. all coming back to me as how it plays out or whatever. But then the more the movie went on, the more I'm reminded that this is absolutely no matter how 
I'm just going to say cliched it might be for an indie movie because a lot of times you do that sort of thing to uh, pretend, like we said earlier, pretend your movie is more important than it really is just to try to add intrigue. Uh, No matter how cliched it is, it is absolutely the right narrative device for this movie because it ends up emulating how a teenager will Mm -hmm. tell an event because they'll always leave out details until you press them on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I absolutely love about this, uh, you know, thing is, you know, they'll, they'll tell the story of what happened in that bedroom, but it's not until an adult has to, you know, kind of say, okay, but did this, whatever. And then, well, I mean, yeah, that also happened, you know, whatever. And that's what I love about that almost, you know, ADHD nation, uh, you know, uh, state of mind uh, comes into play here. And that's, and that's borne out by just the 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 neurology of what is going on in the mind of a teenager. Yeah. Like I mean, it's, it's like re- Rashomon with more neuroticism and hormones, right? I mean, like is that the, the 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 frontal cortex of the brain is rewiring, and no one is essentially at the wheel for those amount of years. And yep. so, what you're describing, it's it's an interesting layering uh, of that. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's yeah. a good idea. So, but the, yeah. that's why I'm also a fan of the editing. Mm-hmm. So. Good, you sound. Yeah, this film is absolutely incredible. Um, the actress who plays Anne, I just, I really empathize with her. I thought she was a yeah. really likable character overall. Um, who played the uh, the mother? Pamela Adlon. Pamela Adlon. She was so good. Great. She was great in this. Yeah. The the um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Sean. She I'm just sorry. she just really had this this sort of wisdom and and just just knowledge about her in a way that I don't really see from a lot of parental figures in sort of like teen films. Like they're just really not clued into it. And, and, and in particular, her character wasn't all that aware of all the events, but she was more hip to it. Like she was the, able to like really put it together the, as, as soon as you give her like enough like rope to like figure it out. The problem I'll say at least with a lot of, I would say just your average teen movie is that parents fall into one of two categories. They just don't understand. They're either they're completely clueless, uh, you know, in which it's almost insufferable how mm-hmm. like they apparently don't remember being a teenager, <laughs> you know, and that's just insane to me, whatever. Or you go down and this, I'm not saying it's not entertaining or you go down the route of like easy a where the parents are just too fucking cool that <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it may be entertaining yeah. to watch and it may be slightly subversive, but you're not a of, responsible parent. At yeah, the end of the right. day, it's, it's just a little too fairy taleish, yeah, of, yeah. you know, whatever. And this completely cuts through the middle of that. Hey, son, what a pack of bull! No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's pretty much all I have to say on it for right now. But uh, yeah, I just want to pass off to somebody else. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about like just even starting at the very end of this, which is um, I, I think of how. Think about where, what it took for her to actually come to some sense of progress or wholeness, you know, at the end is that to get there, she had to go to a secondhand store, kind of identify someone who she think would listen to her and then lie about this. Just really quick. It's important to note that the person who runs that thrift shop is also as a nighttime job is the bartender. Right. And at the place. Exactly. So like, so that was kind of her tell, you know, that I, maybe I can open up to her. There are also uh, mentions throughout the film about that. There's a, they do HIV tests. Yes. In the thrift shop. And there are multiple mentions throughout the film of HIV also at the same mm-hmm. time, whether it be the uh, actual wonderful comical line where um, Sasha has a line about, oh, I hope you don't get raped, get AIDS, and die. Yeah, yeah. Which 
in in the grand oh. scheme of things, actually happens right after she did have the scene with Clifton, and then mm. she goes mm-hmm. to her house, possibly further than nobody. It, but like that, that that's the experience of so many um gay and lesbian uh people is that they like that the world is that closed to them where there's no outlet to do that and you know is a is a straight male that was a that was not a, a ever an issue for me in my life mm-hmm. and then you know it's taken some time you know and, and obviously I, i've had a, a much a better curve of empathy i had an uncle that was gay and um he died and i in and i think part of his struggles with mental illness was probably part of the the depressions of having to live in uh in the those shadows for so many years Mm -hmm. and when i I see a movie like this i mean it 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 hurts knowing that that's that's what so many of their realities uh, can be even now in 2016 Mm -hmm. it's it's not ensured that like hey everyone's cool with it it's like uh uh-uh that's not the case like even in southern california where you think it would be the heart bleeding heart of most liberalism she still had that type of boxing in and i i mean i think that was you know uh, to me was so crushing uh, watching this is just that that very sober reminder that this is not the experience that uh, we think that we have made as much progress as they're we have. lifelines are literally taped mm-hmm. up posters in a thrift store you know i mean yeah, as far as like a, yeah. it, it looms over their culture so to speak and i i feel like i'm like talking about it you know a culture or whatever mm-hmm. that i've obviously not a part of yeah but what i like about this movie is that it doesn't background the idea mm-hmm. of like let's say like hiv AIDS, whatever um but it also doesn't necessarily say that that like <laughs> it's very much it reminds me of the way that like in the academy we only recognize black actors for either playing a slave or playing a criminal mm-hmm. yeah and Which hopefully uh, as we mentioned in our last episode <laughs> maybe we'll put an end to that hopefully we'll at least in terms of getting mentioned yeah. and talked about during the actual ceremony will come to an end with a, the fantastic film Moonlight that we talked yep. about in our last episode. Yep, yep. but and, and it's very similar too uh, to uh, films about uh, anything but heterosexuality, which mm-hmm. is that you you know you have to do the coming out story, you have to mm-hmm. do the AIDS story, or, mm-hmm. or nothing else. And what I like about this is not so much that those elements are not present, but those are not the Defining. climaxes yeah. or yes like you were about to say the defining moment of their shall we say lives and those are like the the story beats that the movie does i would say and at least eventually address um but this is so wonderfully you can identify it as a standard coming of age film mm-hmm. that it's hard not to watch this as a straight white male and, and relate to it because of how universal it is like mm-hmm. what, what we talked about with moonlight yeah um if you guys don't mind if I jump mm. in with my yeah. initial thoughts. Um, I absolutely love this film on the first viewing, and um, all my feelings on this film were pretty much held in the same place. Uh, a not I want to say opposite reaction, but the second time we went and saw Birth of a Nation, which is the film we saw directly after this film in terms oh, of boy. The, yep. the viewing, mm. uh, and, and they're like the same movie too. Isn't <laughs> oh boy, but. I like that film more than this one when we went to the, the festival. Birth of a but, Lesbian. Perfect. Uh, but uh, now, for sure, this film, uh, I feel like after seeing both films again, removed from the festival setting, we are seeing multiple films every day in a theater setting with 
lots of people who are into watching movies and it's just kind of a, a communal thing. Um, see, this is just such a fantastic film. Um, and I feel like the, the, the main thing for me of why I feel like so many people could get not necessarily something out of this, but at least would feel some relatability to this is that this for me, uh, just pulled so much, at the right and wrong feelings of being a teenager yeah. and are they actually being right and wrong? Are they still a child? Are they, should they be held accountable for this? Uh, are they just learning who they are as a person? Um, and at the same time, um, th- no one gets through this movie unscathed. Every single character for the most part in this film does something that you could feel like they are a good person for and does something where you could feel like they are the devil and they are a horrible person. And for the people who are the kids in this film, they're that they are, they are kids. And in a society where you have uh, something like we saw in edge of 17, where you have a 25 year old man playing a high school age child, um, the separation between what actually are children and what are actually adults, it obviously hits that blurred line when you talk about high schoolers. But at the same time, do you hold them to the same esteem? Was that a was that a rape that happened in this film? Yeah. Um, did she do something horribly malicious when she put that photo in the in the yearbook? Should she be held accountable? Should this be a police matter? Um, the, so many questions there that I feel like. Every single person... Or should, just to add one more final thing as far as to bring it all... Yeah. The three characters. Should uh, Brianna's character... I forget her name. Uh, Sasha? Sasha. Yeah. Should should Sasha be, I would say, victimized for simply not wanting to put a label on her identity at such a young age. Sure. I mean, because that's mm-hmm. like a, I think that's one thing that might go often overlooked yeah. no, in yeah. discussion and of I, this movie because uh, yeah. it might seem like the, not the most cruel thing that happened in the movie, but the most like backtrack. But in reality, like that's, that's a horrifying thing too to face. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I wouldn't have mentioned that. And that is something that we had talked about the first time we saw the film. And it is uh, definitely something that you as a, as a film viewer should make mention of, but I think the idea of there being this this in between of right and wrong that is here, and really, what is the answer? And that that is such that is something. I that, think that's what made this movie brilliant. I mean, that, exactly that, and, what and, you're and, saying. And I, I'm in total agreement with you, Brian. Yeah. Because for for me, it is something that every single person who has been a high school student in yeah. America, or maybe even every other country, I don't know, because I only went to high school mm-hmm. in. In fascist. Illinois. Thank you, Nick. Uh, but <laughs> <Fuck you. laughs> I feel like the, the experience of this film and feeling all of, of the emotions of right and wrong and the weird sort of circle that is the in-between and that circle that feels like it gets larger in that weird time period between being a child and being adult and what is the difference and when do you become an adult and you have to be held liable for that and it's just there's so much there that made this such a complex film for me and what is honestly on the surface such a simple story and um this is just such a well done film the the editing the camera work I mean, the the shot of the baseball field just at the very beginning of this film is just absolutely beautiful, and it's such a simple 
little shot, but Toussaint oh, mentioned man. really quick. Yeah, the color grading mm-hmm. of this movie, which is something I never really thought about, and yet mm-hmm. you saying that and articulating that definitely. And now Alex bringing up the baseball field, the the way the opening montage of the softball game is filmed. Uh, and I had a friend who played softball, so I've been to high school softball games. Mm-hmm. Like there was something eerily familiar. Sure. Yeah. About the way that that was shot, like under it, under the lights specifically, yes, exactly. Yes. Where I felt like I was back in high school, yeah. and that yeah. is a rare thing for me to say that about any high school movie. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so that's and that's a, such a small detail, but it's a detail when done and right. The the last thing I'll mention, it just giving my opening remarks, yeah. is I I can't praise this film enough because I think this is an absolutely fantastic uh, work of art, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, we had a film, and we've had multiple films that have tried to include uh, the use of technology and specifically text messaging and that kind of things. Uh, the film Men is, is it Men, Women, and Children? Is that the one? <laughs> yeah, with the the Jason Reitman. Film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the 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 loudest one that had so much of that text on the screen. But here, the way you intersplice between actions you're seeing between the characters and seeing them actually typing it and then seeing the text appear, uh, I thought it was just done absolutely brilliantly. I agree. And perfectly worked with the characters in the story. And, was, and, and it, I think it was a, a very window to a, an authentic intimacy, I think, too, which I thought was really um, believable. And I, and for you know, great for the screenwriter to find – because that must have that could not have been easy for someone who was uh, presumably who knows how old the screenwriter was, but to have caught the ear of what that must have been. It's one thing to have a, a communication between two teenagers, but through a new portal of communication, which is texting, is I mean, yeah. I think they were right on. I will say, yeah. as someone who finished high school about eight years ago, so I'm the youngest person, but still, that was a chunk, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, I was probably in high school right at the cusp of when this sort of generation started. So mm-hmm. I, there's still a bit of me that relates to this like completely. And one thing I love about this movie is that it does not have a knee-jerk reaction to the depiction of people of this generation in which they, you know, to try to oversimplicate things and say that technology alienates and absolutely not. It can. I'm Mm. not saying that's not a thing, but the, my favorite scene in this entire movie is the midnight conversation they have uh, Mm. over phone, because that is one of the most beautiful depictions I would say of, uh, of people of that age Mm -hmm. interacting with each other with all of the anxiousness all of the beauty and just, frankly, all of the things that you'll never probably experience again as an adult. Uh, like that, that goes out the window once you reach a certain age because you grow up in, in, in some ways and, or you don't in others. Um, but you will never, ever relive that feeling of feeling like your whole life is in front of you and it could come down to one night based on what you say and what you don't say yeah. to one other human being. Uh, and that, it's just the way that that's depicted in this movie and specifically that uh, midnight texting scene is so wonderfully in touch with how people actually in this generation talk. Yeah. So, that being said, obviously I already mentioned Brian being the high school teacher that mm-hmm. he is. Uh, <laughs> see the different since you were a teacher when I went to high school, which I'm going to be 30 next year, so that's aging everybody. Uh, at the same time... We're all dying. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. But Fuck you guys, uh, I'm still young. Um, 
for me, who had uh, in my senior year, I got my first Nokia cell phone to nah, where, to where we are now. Um, you have uh, obviously seen a drastic difference in where how kids were, at least on a visual level. Uh, maybe I don't know because I obviously haven't been anywhere near high school since mm. I graduated. Well, because of a restraining order, <laughs> you, you walked into that. I mean, you bitch. did. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Uh, so, anyways, <laughs> son of a bitch, fuck this guy, you're wearing a flannel too, what an asshole. <laughs> I look hot. <laughs> Fucking Al Borland over I here. love how self-satisfied I, it looks every time he takes a drink from his beer. Uh, but you have seen a drastic difference in, um, kids from when you started to where they are now, and, uh, so much of this film in terms of, this is a fantastic film, but... You're on a very specific side of being mm. someone who's involved in high school on a daily basis, and uh, obviously you love film. Mm-hmm. You've been on uh, your fifth episode with us, and I'm just so excited that we were able to watch this film with you yeah. and get your, your initial thoughts and your overall thoughts here, because I I know you would have a certain perspective on this film that none of us could could even bring to the table. Well, I mean, but I, I, mean, I mean, certainly my proximity to uh, this just means that I, I think I... I I, I, you know, Tucson, you kept throughout the movie, you kept on saying uh, teenagers suck. At, 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 like at, at exceptional know. moments yeah. when they were doing and, some exceptionally dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but I think it's, 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 if they suck, it's because there are, you know, it's to your point, which is how much of this is just the curse of hormones, right? Yeah. Which is like, you take that out of it. I mean, would there still be uh, a clearer path forward so they wouldn't be making some of these decisions? So that's where I. I have so much empathy where I think that's part of like if there's a reason why I may have some success with some students is that I don't freak out when they do dumb shit you know what I mean <laughs> it's like it's like yeah. it's like yeah you're that you did that and I, and I <laughs> you, understand where you, that's coming you from. did like, that I thing get, yeah and so I mean there are there are obviously there are some boundaries that can't be crossed but um, for the most part you just kind of let it kind of process through and I, I mean and again you know there throughout the years I mean there have been some students that have confided with me um, of their um, of their sexuality their names right? their address and exactly, <laughs> exactly what they exactly I'll tell you exactly all this stuff this where, isn't the catholic yeah. church come on man and oh, and, uh, and you're and, on vacation and they shake I mean that's the thing. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, this is a big step, and I, I and and I I I've felt so grateful that they felt that they had that trust in me to tell me uh, these things. But um, when you can feel that type of that visceral release of like I I'm telling you this, and it's it's powerful, and um, and I think that's and again to kind of I, I just that scene is just so haunting at the end is like wow that's where she had to find <laughs> this this secondhand store where she had to do so much legwork to find that. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's not and, like yeah. her world wasn't populated with responsible adults. I mean, right. we, we get obviously a glimpse into her home life. Her mother is a person you could bring that kind of thing to, but mm-hmm. there's... That's you know, your mom. That's your mom. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we and, see... you, and you do have the cliche, though, imperfection of her mother, mm-hmm. who rightfully so maybe slaps her in, in the middle of the school, which yeah. is... Such a um, well, throughout the whole movie, she never gives her mom an inch, and right, you know, yeah. and that's that's another learning truth, you know, that's a coming of age thing is and, that you're going to find out one day that your parents know 
just as much as you do, and that's pretty fucking terrifying. Right, and then, and then there's the other element too, which is that you know we are to kind of um, project that you know that the, the where the father is not there, so it does it does is there a lingering type of anger between yeah. them with that? And there's you know we're four guys talking about this, right? We, we have don't like know probably the, di- the most authoritative opinion, and right? Exactly, Lord we don't know the type of intricacies that do happen that dynamic between yeah. mother and daughter, right? <laughs> So it's like we can only begin. So yeah, there's that. Hmm. Ah. This is beautiful. So, mm. but yeah, no. But even uh, the Tim Heidecker uh, mm-hmm. character as the uh, is he a guy of counselor? Yeah, what he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that he's playing like a straight man character and this is just yeah. Man, well, and the fact that like I find this brain. movie so relatable, despite the fact that I've never had a good experience with the guidance counselor, says mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> um, that maybe that was just my own school, but yeah. uh, I, I, it's such a simple line, and it seems so easy. But when he says the line to Clifton, saying, "Did you think that she maybe didn't want to do this?" and like the light bulb moment, because it seems like Clifton's character actually had never considered this to the point, yeah. and he's just like, "Oh shit, did I just rape this girl?" Like, and that's the thing yeah. is, mm, yeah. I don't know. Sure, yeah. I, I, <laughs> and, and you know, and sure, that's, and that's the thing. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not saying sure. Like, yes, you did. Like, I'm saying yeah. sure. Like, how are you supposed to answer that? Oh, like, yeah. right. And, and then it, even it, it, then, it, it, what what makes this brilliant is that we have to squirm and deal with it, right? And yep. so there's no really unmessy way to confront what it is that we think that we just witnessed, and yep. that's. I I will say if I can move into sure. some general thoughts. Um, so when we were at Sundance, uh, one thing I had going on throughout every whatever, I I did some kind of like tweet summary of every movie, and I'm probably ashamed of all 19 out of them except for one of them, which was the one I did for First Go I Love, which was I called it in a in a tweet, so I only had 140 characters, mm-hmm. whatever. But I said First Go I Love was a beautiful ode to being a teenager, which is constantly being faced with decisions you're not equipped to make. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately yeah. that statement – I know I'm quoting myself, so I'm fucking pretentious here. But that or statement – Or brilliant. Or brilliant. But, <laughs> no, but that statement loomed over my second viewing as well, which mm-hmm. is that I love all three of these central characters. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, there can be a hierarchy as to which one may be more in the wrong. More Buck in the, Clifton. Right. And, <laughs> and I'm not necessarily taking that away from anybody who you know wants to uh, condemn him and mm-hmm. whatnot. But at the end of the day – by the end of this movie, all three of these uh, characters are not human beings, but are teenagers, and that's and that's kind of a distinction <laughs> because <laughs> you're not a full fledged human being. Your it, brain oh, hasn't processed it, it, yet to the pretty point. Much. But but they are being judged as adults by right. yeah. some of the adults in oh, this yeah. film. Yeah. And it's, what's great is that the what I call the tribunal scene. You know when mm-hmm. everybody gathers together, um, which is so fucking ridiculous. Because I'll have you know, they will not be allowed on the on the yearbook committee I, next I, year. We will I, refund I, your money. I've, that is the ultimate I, adult yeah. way of handling a situation. That, and just the bureaucracy of yes. a, of a school because I, it accomplishes nothing yeah. from I, frame right. one. I have to say yeah. and. I mean, I don't have any experience in any sort of situation like that in any way, shape, or form. But for me, on the first viewing and on this view, even though it felt so ridiculous at times, that scene to me felt so fucking authentic. Like, oh, yeah. oh this could actually be no, how this yeah. goes down. It can. And what I love about that scene <sighs> is the, the line in the sand, at least for me, it 
draws between the difference between adults and children, which is that adults have picked a side. You know, once you become a certain age, whatever it is for you, maybe it's younger, maybe it's older, once you become your adult version of yourself, you you have bought into whatever persona, whatever ideology mm-hmm. you base. And I, I know people can change, and that is certainly true, but in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the difference between that and children is children are on a spectrum. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are, I mean, we in that scene alone, all we see are the adults, let's say, you know, staying true to the selves that they present to their children day after day because we have uh, Sasha's parents who will not even (laughs) fathom the idea that, you know, their daughter did anything wrong or that other human beings could be just as, you know, wronged as their own daughter. You have um, Tim Heidecker character, the guided counselor, who is trying almost to a fault uh, to be the Switzerland and trying to understand everybody, which is both important but also can be damaging if you're not assertive enough to try to find accountability to press uh, for the answers yeah um and you know and how about, so how about, on, how about the principal's character who when like the police get brought up and this becoming a larger age whoa, like, like we'll refund your money like like the, like you yeah. have the possibility of becoming some bullshit facebook yeah. news story right now that's like oh god but, this is this yeah. is who i am right. this is my life but amidst all that you have three <laughs> teenagers and in that Scene, you have uh, the character of Anne, who is so uncomfortably being put on trial, like her mother rightfully points out. Walks into the scene. How about the mother actually physically saying, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about here. Can yeah. someone fill right. me in? Right. Like, no yeah. idea. Yeah. But uh, that's bureaucracy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, just yeah. the futility of it. Yeah. You, you have her, you know, being put on trial for something that she's only coming to grips with at this mm. moment. You have um, uh, uh, Sasha's character, who is not necessarily being on trial, but has figured out maybe a little bit too late who she is and doesn't want to make that affirmation because of maybe the damage it'll do to another person. Of all the times to come to that realization in that room next to your parents with the mention of police officers, and you're like, oh, my God. And then you have the Clifton character who is for the probably the – first time in that entire movie that he I would think sees the severity of what he's done. I think he acknowledges what he done yeah. uh, with Tim oh, Heidegger's, God, you know, that scene. Amazing. But yeah. in, in which he realizes that, you know, besides the fact that the severity of what he's done, but how easy it is for anybody to do it. And I almost that's why that scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie too, mm-hmm. is because it almost lets not lets him off the hook, but it at least I would say comforts him in a way that he can at least use whatever goodwill he has left to try to help out his friend mm-hmm. uh, in in a situation that at least at the start of the movie you didn't think that because teenagers often don't he mm-hmm. could possibly come to that right decision and and it's just such it's such a mess and nothing gets solved because adults are the ones who got to decide what happened that day and how about uh, and I mentioned this when we were viewing the film how about in that scene where Clifton and Anne have uh, the sexual Moment liaison. They, okay, uh, have have that moment, and I don't even know what what to call that necessarily. I just did. Sure, and uh, you have the final moment of that scene, basically, well, right before the end of of how that the explosion finishes off there, uh, where That's, what are you talking about? That's a way to. 
What? That's what it said. It sounds, I guess that's, but but right before the climax of the. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> see, that's that oh, shit. See, even even no worse. Way. That's disgusting. Before the end of that specific scene uh, where she basically has to apologize to him, and that is, is just. It just felt so gross. wrong and gross, and at the same time, unfortunately, felt like something that would happen in that kind of. And it just, yep, ah, fuck. Yeah, that the, that. The, I mean, the if, if you just you guys are closer than when I was there, but I remember like that age. The 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 hormones that a guy has, it's like a runaway train. It does not. It doesn't in any way justify what happened, but oh, it, it, I can't it's, believe I wasted my time with this girl. Yeah, right. So like we we didn't like so having flashbacks. Uh, and she was also fuck. you know leading him on at the same time too. I what? mean, she was putting letting him put his arm around her. What? <laughs> That's what he says. He's a fucking idiot. Okay. Yeah. He's a fucking seventeen-year-old child. Often. So there you go. He's a fucking seventeen-year-old idiot. Anyway, continue, but, but Brian. I, but, Thank but, you, Dusan. But I think, like, but it, so what? Where's that dichotomy, right? Where like, if he thought this, if he had a long game of like saying, like, well, she's gonna be my girl. I'm gonna work for. If or, I or, put or, enough or, friendship right, coins, no, then yeah. sex no, will come no, out. No, right. Hold on, hold on. Was was he just saying that though? Yeah. Or was he so fucking angry? That he finally got to this moment where maybe he didn't just want to have sex with her. Maybe he really did like her as a person. I, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. there's I, I, the way at least I read that scene, so to speak, is that... Um, and I'll say that there have been shades of my own past, not in the physical actions that happened in that scene, but at least the emotions behind mm-hmm. what can drive somebody to do something like that. Right. Is that you, you reach a point in which you knew what, you knew what was coming the mm-hmm. entire time, but then you also are shocked by the day it comes or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately he takes, uh, I would say the low road. Yeah. The low road <laughs> mm-hmm. in which he is. And that's what happens when you're a teenager. And I'm not saying it can't happen as an adult because adults can make shitty decisions yeah. too. But usually adults, I would say, I wouldn't say is more malicious, but at, at a certain age, you, you know exactly what you're doing. Whereas mm-hmm. a teenager doesn't, you, you, they really don't. And, um, but he reaches the point in which you're, I wouldn't say depressed, but you're such you're in such a state of panic yeah. that you don't understand how to react. So all you can think about is how to essentially make that last ditch effort to because you think that that's essentially what they're looking for, and and that's or, what the ultimate or, tragedy of that. Or See, then, and I'm not trying to really quick. Yeah, I, I don't want to say that the tragedy is that a guy wasn't. Uh, giving consent to get laid, but the tragedy right. is the idea that um, we don't prep teenagers yeah. enough in public education systems uh, to recognize that your hormones are such a self-centered son of a bitch, mm-hmm. and they do not take account for anybody's emotional state, including your own. Or mm-hmm. the complete just, you've had that dump of, well, my emotions are over now, and I have to... I have to put this other person down. It has to happen. Where in the in the same breath, basically, he calls her a dyke, a stupid bitch, and tells her right. to get the fuck out of a her own lady. fucking bedroom. Right. Uh, um, get the fuck out of your bedroom. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And she does. And it, it just... Let me out of your bedroom. It, and uh, the, uh, this gets back to what I was talking about when we first started talking about the film, of, of the way that the film structure works... Um, going back, especially the second time through, and knowing that the, you know, that entire scene transpires prior 
to almost every action in this film than that you see uh, afterwards. It's just something that you can't not think about when you're having to rewatch. At least I couldn't because knowing that here she is going and having her first meeting with Sasha and having uh, the way she chooses to not divulge that she rides a bike. And how about that moment, too? She is so proud to show Clifton that she has this new bike, and then she mm-hmm. basically lies to Sasha, someone who she's actually uh, interested in. And how about that dynamic, too, mm. is we have her, she's having a Clifton moment at the end of the film. We, we kind of joked about it with her uh, polka dot uh, bed sheets. But she has spots, <laughs> spots or whatever. Spot <laughs> but she has the the moment where she's looking at her and say, spots. "Yeah, she's looking at her and having this moment, or the moment also on the field when she's saying, no, this is who you are,' whatever." And it's it's just such an opposite end of the coin, only so much later from a different character's perspective, and it's That's just. A good point. And ultimately, yeah, so much there. these teenagers' problems is that they don't realize that their own dilemma, problem, whatever, are different than other people's. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have the idea of uh, Clifton and not realizing that her problem is not that she hasn't tried a dick, uh, mm-hmm. but is that uh, she, she lived in a society in mm-hmm. which uh, her identity might be something that would make her uncomfortable to admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have... Um, uh, Sasha's character, who like, and is, is an athlete. That's an one athlete. Of the first thing, yeah. <laughs> but you have uh, Sasha's character in which Anne thinks that Sasha is going through the same thing that she is, which is not true, because mm. um, she is going through something completely different, which is that she might actually not be going like they might be going through the same exact questionnaire, but they're going to find out that they're going to get different results by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And but it's that self-centeredness of a teenager that can't fathom the idea that these other characters are. You, you think you're all in it together. And, and the sad truth is you're not. You, you're all suffering, but for completely different reasons. Yeah. Silence. Mic drop! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just looking back at... Well, you got spots. Yeah, that's, <laughs> these aren't spots. These are like snowflake patterns on the no, that's a spot. You're a special snowflake. Oh, <laughs> don't do that. Anyway... <laughs> Um, going off of what Nick said before about how you can see some uncomfortable parallels with your own development and sort of... I don't think... Really quick. Yeah. There's a single person in this room yeah. as a straight white male who can't see shades of behavior. Well, I'm not, a, their, well I'm not a white male. I'm a straight <laughs> black man. <laughs> Thank you, friend. We weren't talking about you. When I forgot said, you were here. When, when we said in this I know room. You I was trying to do the ultimate, uh, anyway. I, oh, I know you were doing. The ultimate uh, race. Oh, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker. No. <laughs> I'm so used to saying straight white male that I forget. Muscle memory, muscle memory. It's, it's anyway. I know. <laughs> I know it's muscle memory. Have you, okay, really quickly. The very first episode of Atlanta has a running joke in which there's a white guy who constantly talks to Donald Glover. Yeah. Whenever he tells a certain story, oh, yeah. oh, he uses yeah. the N-word. Oh, yeah. But every time he talks to a different black person, yeah. he like, doesn't use the N-word. And anyway. Yeah, Donald will go up to uh, one of the janitors and be like, hey, has that guy ever said the N-word to you? Hell no, I'd fucking knock his ass out. <laughs> Yeah, and that comes full circle at the end of that episode. So it's what great. I'm trying to say is I'm an asshole. So uh, that's okay. No, no, you're not an asshole. Um, but yeah, it's like mirroring off of the whole 
like seeing shades of our own development within this sort of film. Maybe, maybe I hate Clifton because in part I can see at least a shade of the earlier part of myself in him. Yes. yes. But not to the extent if anybody of how says much they of, can't. of a douche he is. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. But if anybody says they can't, then in my opinion. Then I'm just lying in order to yeah. save face, and I'm not going to do that. But like that doesn't mean he's any less of a fucking asshole. Right, but, was, at, but at the same time, you're watching that being like, oh, and, and how about how about this? How about the light nature that we start this film as we have the bizarreness of him trying to bust a wine bottle open with a samurai sword that is almost completely man. forgotten by the end of the film. And you look back and go, oh, that was so lighthearted. And then uh, five minutes later, you have this potential rape scene. Okay. Yeah. Life comes yeah. at you fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that there is. I mean, that those those the the polls that you have uh, when you were at that age. I mean, it's it's the chemicals just completely wash over your brain and yeah. in, in those moments. And um, it's you know, to your point, Nick, is that you know uh, it, it's it is the problem that we need to be you know, the, the people need to be taught and trained and all that stuff. Well, I mean, I think there's the other level too, which is you know at some point. Uh, and I, it probably never happened, but like we have to confront the idea of of teenage sexuality. It exists, and to think that well, well, just wait until they're eighteen or twenty one, and then things will kind of That's sort themselves. Only up. when sexuality exists, right? Exactly. I mean, like the, the I mean that that's just not that's just not honest, you know. And, yeah. and you hear all these like different. It's interesting to th- think about like different cultures and how they might kind of deal with that. Like the like in, in Scandinavia, how there's just different approaches, or Netherlands, and, and how they will deal with teen pregnancy or just deal with sexual. I mean, they just they're there's, it's different in other places, and um, uh, I, I don't know if that's ever going to come to the United States, you I, know, and because we I, still have a, a legacy of one puritanical, thing and yeah. In this movie, that's completely accurate as far as how adults <laughs> tackle problems that teenagers have is that there's too much of an emphasis of like how could I have prevented this, and not enough of a realization that. Teenagers are going to make stupid decisions, so it's why can't we do better at making? I don't want to say the word safe space, but mm-hmm. why can't we do better at making an environment in which they can still learn from these experiences and at least start yeah, to? How, if we know they're going to fall, how do we feather yes. the actual er, place where they how, do fall really? into, yeah. as opposed to say, "Hey, sorry, sucks to be you." you and we need to figure out yeah. who is to blame. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. How yeah. about how about the attacking environment too? You talk about that in terms of everybody is basically trying to get the upper hand mm-hmm. uh, and be the one who isn't the one who's in the wrong in that scene. And then you have this... Because of course it's going to be my child. Well, of course not. I mean, and that's the thing, they're being led by their parents, like right. literally by the collar, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like who's owning up to it. And, and that uh, goes back to the very interesting very first scene of this film, which involves Clifton and his grandmother, who is in that uh, final scene, who's speaking Spanish, who's lost her husband, who's become an alcoholic... And she is. Uh, it's probably this the very... only thing in the movie, which which is fine. That I'm not I... a big fan of. Sure. Mm. Not because I don't think it's realistic. Not because I don't think that it has a play. Like I, I don't dislike it, so to speak. But it's probably the only time in which I think a movie thought that it had to add a backstory mm. to explain yeah. a teenager's motivation when it didn't need to. But mm. I, I guess My something own. that that is interesting for me is that's a character who we do see early on, who's just a such a minor character. 
who's basically like the samurai wine sword thing I was talking about, is just completely forgotten, yet she's there because she is his guardian, we're led to believe. And it it is what it is. Like, she is just... That's who he has grown up with. He has not had these perfect parents like Sasha has. Well, he is he has not had a mother who is very seemingly very caring like Anne has. He has this mother who's an alcohol or like grandmother who's an alcoholic who needs to be um parented by her grandchild. Well and I will say one thing that's kind of uh subtly sneaky. Um the way parents are depicted in this movie is not Charlie Brown esque in the sense that they have no voices or they're mm-hmm. no whatever. But what I do love is that if you compare the screen time of each of the three children's parents, it ascends in an order that also kind of parallels their involvement and direct, I would say, uh, good parenting link, you know, whatever. Because mm-hmm. Sasha's parents are non existent until the the tribunal mm-hmm. uh the abuela of uh clifton is in the beginning for sure but then just kind of drops off of it so yeah, she's like there character. right uh and then of course uh Anne's own mother is in the film quite a bit compared to the other adults and whatnot and i just kind of love the hierarchy of that when you kind of take in fact of like how much of these adults are presence in these kids lives, and it's not even a physical presence but because that's what's communicated to the audience. Because we see when, like, Sasha arrives home from school, the first thing she does is say, hi, mom. You know, so it's not literally uh, enough to say, well, the face-to-face time between mm-hmm. these sets of parents and this ch- is, you know, sky high. So, therefore, that child will be well-adjusted, whatever. It, and so I, I kind of like the film kind of skirking that, um, you know, sensibility. But but all of all of that is essentially eradicated among the the possibility that I mean why was the daughter uh panicking is because it was for the performance of what she felt the standards of society and her parents wanted in that moment yeah. right so I mean I mean it, it was just a, a kiss in well, the yearbook and notice how everything implodes around it started so, out with yeah, a kiss yeah. 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 Like like this. This. it was, it was only a kiss it was only a kiss anyway Nazi's falling asleep and she's calling a cab <laughs> Sorry. The joke was over two stanzas ago. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But no, what you're saying, though, and what's interesting about what you're saying, then, is that, like, Sasha's parents, for example, since we we never see them, but we know that they're in her life, so Mm -hmm. to speak, but she would never have talked to a guidance counselor in the same way Clifton would have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of telling of the way parents can have a negative influence on Mm -hmm. children. And to think that they've created a safe space of like, you can always mm-hmm. come to me in which sometimes that means absolutely nothing because all I can do is feed into their own egocentrism of their own parenting style mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that's fucking toxic. They, they provided all of the material trappings that would suggest perfect parenting. Yep. We have supported your club's uh, vo- uh, softball. We stay together. We, uh, we, that's we stay one together. thing compared yeah. to the other two. Exactly. We've done all, we've, you, we, you can check every box of this, but we see that they have been, uh, um, emotionally it disinterested in that whatever her interest was that they would have picked up on that would have uh, somehow made her happier. Yeah. Um, something that I hit on earlier, which is an, an interesting parallel, which is something that if this were a Christopher Nolan film, there would be, uh, be more boring. Well, it would be more boring, and also, too, there would wow. be people talking about it on comment sections because that's the way that our lives are lived now. Uh, but it is... I mean, clearly, at least for me, a, a very much sort of a 
just rebirth of her seeing the same bicycle in the mm. in the window at the yeah. end, which to me that's what that suggests is her is her saying, "Oh, I can now go off and and get this bicycle which has been stolen from me," and and or is that supposed to be the beginning of the of the story? I mean, I, what's everyone's I, my take own... on that? personal thing is i think and this is my own whatever but i completely zero in on the symbolism behind the the concept of damaged goods and how before that moment you know before she sees this bicycle um you know like when when her bicycle is stolen Mm. it it's this kind of you're you're a teenager and i'm not saying the movie necessarily shouted this or anything but that can feel like obviously the end of the world you don't have that much money you can't really Mm. get it back but it feels like these are you know repercussions that can't be undone and what i love about at that time and place in the movie when she sees her bicycle is she realizes that despite the fact that actions have consequences nothing is too big to go back on and to reclaim so Mm -hmm. to speak and that there is nothing wrong with something that may be used something that has wear and tear uh, and, and I'm not talking about like physical yeah whatever but the idea is that that's what makes something you know imperfect yeah. and human and beautiful you and know that, what? that's you know what that's fucking perfect like that's not even something i had even necessarily thought about mm-hmm. and yet it's totally just i can ride the, my bike with I, no handlebar you said oh, that boy. the fucking flowbot song during the actual film <laughs> I'm viewing, sorry i'm a flowbot super freak <laughs> actually, yeah. you're not one album man and they, actually, they the, said it all actually they have two albums do they really yeah they do no one why do you that know that yeah. i don't know why <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that I, and i'm quoting the song i don't know why i know that i don't even no one listened to that second album nobody did i didn't listen to it that's the great thing about a what we're able to Me. do and yes <laughs> thank you for taking the credit and just having a discussion like this is that something i hadn't even put together as the puzzle pieces in my head and now it totally makes sense and i'm not caught up on the oh is that the weird is this the beginning or is this the starting over but now oh, that's that's fucking perfect man so thank you for yeah. laying that out there um Something that Nick just said reminded me of a comment I made during the film to Brian. Oh, I remember that comment. That was pretty fucking gross. I think you should apologize. Actually, I... I'm just kidding. To to all of us, not just Brian. I'm not going to apologize to anybody. I'm going (laughs) to actually say it again. What was the comment? And... And I says like, you know what else I don't like about teenagers? <laughs> it's just like they always take everything so damn seriously. They think that everything is like the the center of the universe, and that like this is like a like a something of of cosmic dread and of consequence. And I feel like that also applies in this film as well. It's like kind of like what you touched on as well, Nick. But um, I, I I'll say this to the strength of the film is that it kind of like reinjects you back into that mindset yeah, it does. into that into that emotional space of of chemical es- escalation that comes with yep. hormones as to why these things are so important and so shell shocking because they just haven't happened to you before yeah. and so they're just unprecedented so when when the girl who who says that I'm not gay but good luck with that just kind of, and then just kind of like walks off and just like, like, like shrugs off like nothing. It is like a a private emotional apocalypse. It, it, it is, yeah, it is, it is, well, it is devastating. I will say the most depressing thing about becoming an adult is, <laughs> is when these Taxes. experiences become mundane. 
All right, yeah. so this was so wait, this <laughs> I've been trying to, to figure out, out how to like w- this is a quote that's been haunting me because obviously I'm a few more years older than you guys. Oh. <laughs> oh. But this is kind of reminds me of this this I, I it was an article I was reading as about uh you know, whatever. Are, are we living in a simulation type bullshit? So, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it says hell is the condition of having no alternatives. Mm. Okay, so when you're talking about like, and that 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 is something that you when you're right when we realize that you know there is something uh, liberating about being having all of those options when you're young and then seeing each of those doors shut every time it, it gets scary right you know and you know me seeing this as a 41 year old guy yeah that's pretty uh, crazy when you see it um and and I, I was you know i think of like those those moments where you're, you're talking about like the where everything gets elevated to mm-hmm. like this like uh, you know you know I, I think the dumb fights i would get into with my parents like, yeah really didn't let me go to the mall and this yeah. is why i'm throwing shit around the house are you oh, fucking like, I mean, kidding me yeah, are you fucking just, kidding me they didn't let you oh, yeah. I mean, i'm was, mad on your behalf yeah exactly you know things like that. everyone else got to go but well, but, but the, the but. scene where she's like, yeah, have fun with that. But that's the other part of having your heart broken, right? When someone closes the door to you and they're like that. I mean, it, it all comes back to you. Like, and when I'm watching, I was like, oh, yeah, boy, that hurts. You yeah. know? And I was like, God, did I do that to anyone? And, I just, and then it's the reciprocity of that yeah. <laughs> uh, as well. Um, you were, when you're talking about the bicycle, it, it reminded me of the other scene with Sasha, which is you know the, the scene of her um, disavowing. Uh, swinging right and yeah. and all of that that was brilliant as well right which is how does that echo her experience right which is shows that she took a chance it it, it didn't work out and that's why she would then retract in, into that mm-hmm. and that's precisely what we would, would have how, predicted with her behavior with, how, the, with this how about yeah. her feeling too of and this is a perfect parallel to both this film and also the actual part of being either part of a sports team or any other team of a letting your peers down, mm-hmm. but also letting your coach down, either mm-hmm. be your parent or uh, yeah, right. just a, just a sporting coach of That's they're good. just the person who's there to to guide you, and you feel this this feeling of disappointment to the point where you're you are crying on the phone and consoling with this person that for the most part she doesn't even hardly know mm-hmm. other than the texting that they've done, but yet she's the one person who she feels like she can confide in and. Crying the phone to paves the way to mutual masturbation. It's uh, <laughs> no, which uh, is true. No, it is true, and <laughs> shockingly yeah. accurate as far as my past experience go. Anyway, yeah, I, um, I, I sort of uh, well, I called that. Yeah, well, I think well we good all for you. Knew where that was going? <laughs> we, we 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 knew you called that. And Anybody you... with a dick could have called that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the best part is uh, Tucson says it so calmly that he says he called it. But he was actually jumping up and down in uh, in the living room, and that is actually accurate. Is he, he was, was like, he was moving. like Chris Mannix in the Hateful Eight. I fucking knew it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But but more animated, yeah. <laughs> which is like almost impossible. <laughs> um, one thing I want to at least talk about before we end it sure. is um, Brian. You were talking about like the liberation that teenagers can feel when they see these doors open or mm-hmm. shut either way whatever mm-hmm. um one thing that i think you just reminded me of is and this is kind of a lost art i think in cinema but how wonderful uh the title of this movie is it's mm-hmm. called first girl i love which is such a teenager way of framing something which mm-hmm. is that they don't realize that it, it, it's it's it may be the first girl, but it ain't gonna be the last and mm-hmm. and the the disconnect between uh that 
sea of emotion and you know and i i just and it's so about the actual person who's saying it too and not about right. the girl is unnamed uh, good point right. yeah. yeah you're right that's and, it and, and, that's and so it. i just wanted to throw that out there at least that and, that's and, a and it's so the person telling the story too yeah. the, the same it's just yeah in 10 years, she probably will barely remember Sasha, and that's what's something yeah. that you can't grasp. But yet, it's such a... As a I mean, you'll, you certainly it'll be a memory, but it, it'll be kind of... It'll shock your teenage self how faded that memory can be mm-hmm. on the fringes, because in the present, when you're that young at least, you, you'd think that there would be no way that you would ever forget that one conversation we had at midnight, and you know, whatever. But I'm constantly, at least my own self, and I'm only seven years or so removed from high school, how many times somebody on Facebook will friend request me that I deleted <laughs> the day after graduation. <laughs> and I will genuinely, I have to text my friend and ask who that person is. And then when they tell me, it's not only do I know that person, but I've had actual... Do I have a... Do I have a, I have a history do with them. Do I have them. a shit fit with this person? And I'm like, oh, this is really weird for, like, for me, not for them, you know, because apparently this is... this. Yeah, so it's... I, no, I, I have not seen the movie but i've heard uh i was listening to a review of it um you guys did moonlight Uh, yeah so so but that so just to your point my my understanding is that the protagonist in that movie he had a different experience where he he did pine over someone for many years that was the actually equivalent no No. it's a lot i would say not to be but whatever potential whatever it's a lot more complex than that okay i will say well, it, it also... Feelings can come back. Like, yes. that's not... I would not disagree with that. But that is not a, um, like, time can't erase. It's just a matter of the connections we make and whether they can... It's hard to talk about without actually and, spoiling no, okay. it. Yeah. But it's not as simple as that, I would say. Okay. And also, too, and obviously you haven't seen the film right. like yet, but the, the interesting aspect of that film is that it does follow something, which is a homosexuality and the masculinity that has followed homosexuality specifically in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, uh, one of the just captivating parts of that specific film is that it is a very distinct three act structure. It involves three different portrayals of the same character as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. Mm -hmm. One thing Uh, I will say as far as for me, at least the clear dividing as to how these two texts approach similar thematic material is that in moonlight, um, there is an inseparable element to the person that led to a sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. And here, what I like about First Go I Love, and not to say anything bad about Moonlight, which is probably my favorite movie of the year, mm. but um, here, Sasha is just like any girl or guy that any person in high school had a crush on and thought mm. was the end of the world, yep. so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, something slightly different happens in Moonlight, I think, because there's a lot more repression and a lot more of psychological... Oh, and, uh, um... But uh, that oh, would be a crazy double feature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you also get more parts of the pieces in Moonlight than you do in Right, we see here. the future, so yeah. to speak. But so, this is yeah. more of a snapshot. Uh, so. Right, right. But, 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 but yeah, it is a definitely a, a different type of storytelling in that, Brian, for you... Um, He's the only one who obviously hasn't yeah. seen the film. That is a fantastic feature that mm. you should check out at some time. But what I'm mm. saying is at least, like, when I watch First Go, I love uh, whatever Anne feels for Sasha feels 
I would say almost, at least, you know, 99%. Obviously, there's something different because I'm a male, she's a female, whatever. But almost feels exactly like whatever girl I pined over mm-hmm. and thought, I, you know, I could somehow change their mind or whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Whereas Moonlight's, I would say, slightly more... Uh, different than that idea yeah, yeah. Sure. but yeah if you ever watch Moonlight let me know because I'd be curious to know what yeah, you think man, of it that's yeah. my list yeah for sure so should go to final thoughts yeah and I think ratings so. on this and since you started us off Toussaint why don't you start us off in ratings yeah this um, just to reiterate this film is absolutely beautiful I I I'm at a loss of words to say any anything more glowing about it just because not, not to actually dwarf like what it actually is, not to heap too like excessive praise on it, but I think that this is um, an extraordinary film in its own right. I think that it does what it sets out to do very well. Um, it offers a a glimpse into a a mindset and a time in your life where it's like almost it's it's being a teenager. And going through those first pangs of understanding your sexuality and coming into your own recon- recognition as a as a human being <laughs> capable of romance or affection or of caring of, about somebody or erections so much more than yourself it, it it's it's both a time in your life and it feels like almost like a physical mm-hmm. place that you can't really like come back to it's like you you just you leave the 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 sort of like way wayside country of of childhood enter into adulthood and it's kind of like partitioned off from you it's like you you've burned the bridge as soon as you've gone through it's like it's faded it's it's gone and i feel like this sort of and this this film for me kind of like acted as a backdoor into a fictional character's like experience of that and sort of a simulacra of an emotional simulacra of that sort of time that i felt like was so well realized that it felt uncanny. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say that I give uh, First Girl I Loved a four and a half out of five. I really love this film. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, uh, I'm going I, to – like part of me, just my exuberance wants to say five, like right out of the gates. Right. But I'm going to come back to 4.5 only because – you know, I, I bet uh, I would like another shot at watching mm-hmm. this the way you had, you know, that because because maybe I, I was too I tried uh, maybe too emotionally invested in watching this. That too maybe effusive I w- on an initial. Yeah. Exactly. You know, or I feel that. But you're right um, there. The elements of this where it, it reminded me and, and that's what I love about when art is good. It 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 it, it carves out parts of your heart that were once um that you didn't know were there. Yeah, or you forgot that that was there. And you're right. It did channel that part where, like, you know, when they're talking about that time when, you know, well, we were just snuggling on the couch and I didn't know what that meant, you know. And it's like, and it doesn't mean that I want that any other, you know, with a future person. It's just because I – even – I'm married. I'm happy. I love my life and all this stuff. But there is that type of excitement of where that comes from that could only be channeled from. Where the, the type fuck of, does this go? Yeah. yeah. No, you mean like where that comes from? Like when I'll you were a, ch- a, when a child. Later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, like that. That's when when you're in high school, where there is like um, uh, it's 
it, it's just it, it won't happen again, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's exciting. Uh, 4.5, no doubt. And just like you said, all the technical uh, parts of this, the screenplay is amazing, um, and 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 the way in which they're able to kind of again leverage um, something that is you know the, what you were saying with the texting. Um, fantastic. Yeah. Can I go before you go? Sure. I think we should end with you. Oh, okay. Because I, yeah. Okay. Uh, I just really quickly want to say that I barely, if not have anything to say left because uh, everything I've already said has been golden. So please listen back and take notes of what I have <laughs> to say. Uh, you should be honored by my greatness. The, the only thing I'll, I'll say is that uh, I'll reiterate, I think this is as well uh, a fantastic film. Um, I think if those of you who are playing along uh, at home, bingo. And um, I, I think I gave this a slightly higher rating than I did when I initially saw it at Sundance. Okay. And it's not so much that this new rating will reflect that it has fallen in my esteem, but just more of a, like, that I've fine-tuned how I feel about this mm. movie, which is that I absolutely think it's fantastic and uh, absolute must-see, definitely, in my opinion, the best coming-of-age high school movie that everybody should see in this uh, this year uh, because I think another one is going to get a lot more publicity or already has. Uh, Edge of 17, I'm talking about, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just think this is a fantastic movie that everybody should see and everybody should be able to relate to because mm-hmm. that's how fucking uh, astute it is at relaying uh, the emotions and uh, the just the pacing of what it's like to be a teenager. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it four out of five and and that's not necessarily a reflection of like how much less I liked it, but just that uh, ultimately it's a fantastic film that maybe I'm judging based on uh, apparently I, I, according to Letterbox I've watched 400 movies this year, so I've seen a lot more movies since mm-hmm. I, January. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, it's it's a fantastic movie that everybody should see. Well, and too, um, it, uh, it is I, removed from the context of the festival, which yeah. is ultimately a thing that does happen. Yeah, it's a magnifying. Aspect. We literally had not. Me and Alex knew nothing about this movie. Yeah, I, for the most part, I think. wouldn't have seen it. Wouldn't have either. seen it. We only yeah. bought tickets to it because we bought tickets to the next audience award winner, which ironically, not ironically, but just to point out, there is no actual. It's the only category in which a jury of actual cinematic peers do not vote on. Next category. Only an audience gets to choose what's the best of the next, which is kind of an interesting uh, thing. So anyway, we just sat down based on the fact that we bought tickets to the next winner. And so I think we were not expecting, uh, myself at least. A, not expecting this to win necessarily and B, uh, not expecting this film to be anything. Agreed. Because of of something that happens is you were in line a lot and you talk to people who are all are interested in these movies and just movies in general. We only, I remember only one person mentioning this film. And I remember that person, I remember uh, her having a mixed opinion on it because before we had saw it, all I knew about it was that she had said, I'm not sure I know how to feel about the possible sexual assault that happens in the movie. And I'm not saying anything about what that person feels because I think that's valid. I mean, that's how I think good this movie is, is that it's so messy that I wouldn't blame anybody for hating or loving, whatever. Um, But that certainly did not set up expectations for how, in my opinion, and I think all of our uh, nuance this movie truly is. And two, um, I will say that I usually generally give higher ratings than I necessarily would have, where Nick uh, usually tries to 
temper expectations for himself when he gives ratings. So you giving any film a four out of five uh, is saying that it's a pretty fucking good movie. I agree. So, yeah. Um, I absolutely love this film. Um, This is, especially on a second viewing, um, occasionally seeing as many films as I do, even if I don't see as many films as people who love films and see 500 movies a year. Those assholes. Yeah, I know. Fuck those guys. (laughs) Or women, sorry. People, sure, They're, they can be females, too, ha! obviously. They can be in between. They can be whatever. Sure, absolutely. And that's 100% true. Yep. So, anyways. Where's this uh, going? Getting back to me. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> getting back to me. Obviously, the person who's talking. Uh, <laughs> what an asshole. Sorry. Um, I felt this way last year uh, when I saw a film that I actually said was my favorite film of the year, and this is only my second favorite film of this year, but uh, there are times when I feel like I'm seeing films and I'm thinking, do films just suck now? Like, do I just not like them as much as I used to? Are they not giving me everything I want out of them? Um, And and 2016 is kind of, unfortunately made that even worse because this has been a horrible year for movies in, in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's been good films. I think this has throughout. been a horrible year, f- and this is totally another conversation, and maybe sure. we'll talk about it at our best of episodes. But yeah. a preview of that for my own thing. I think this has been a horrible uh, year for access and distribution of good films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's part of it. Anyway. But for the most part... If I you... mean, we only saw this movie because we knew yeah. what it was... Yes. At Sundance, yes. and then we saw that it was on sale uh, on Voodoo yeah. Walmart streaming service. And we you wanted know. to watch uh, with Brian, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. anyway. so, but at the same time, this has undoubtedly been a a year um, for many reasons that people will look at and go, "Fuck 2016." But at the same time, the box office, just seeing the eye test on films, has been a year. Uh, last year when I saw Steve Jobs in the theater for the first time, I was like, you'll know it when you see it for a film that you truly love and enjoy. And I felt the same way in the theater with this film and the same way this time. And this is just a film that moves me and makes me feel connected to the characters, makes me feel like, holy shit, there's no right or wrong answer for these characters makes me feel bad about myself at times uh makes me feel I personally believe that a film's not doing its job if it doesn't make me feel like shit <laughs> and I'm not joking yeah the, this is a, a movie that really plays with the emotions and also at the same time plays with its own structure uh has wonderful filmmaking techniques clearly this is an independent film at the same time uh, this is doing a lot of great little things. Uh, the, the use of music in this film is something we haven't hit on at all, but there are some mm-hmm. some moments in here that I uh, genuinely love the soundtrack. This is a somewhat similar soundtrack to a film that I loved, uh, their use of music and sound in, which was a film me and Nick saw this year called Nerve, <laughs> which also involved teenagers, but had that same kind of... And the same exact amount of depth and <laughs> complexity Not... to the... <laughs> But uh, the the use of the um, the bass and the beats and music and uh, how it fits into scenes that you feel like it shouldn't be in, but it works really well for some reason. Uh, this film just does so much for me. And I have to say that um, I don't give this a perfect rating because 
Uh, for me, there are some moments that are a little too cliched, and there are um, just parts of this film that I, I do feel could be better. Uh, but for the most part, this is an absolutely fantastic film that I would recommend to anybody. And that is, there there are very few films that I feel like I could tell anybody I know to watch and feel confident that they would get something out of it. And this is just a a um, a wonderful work of art that I feel like pretty much everybody could find some sort of connection to and have an appreciation for. And it's... Um, very well done, and I'm so glad that we got to see this film earlier this year at the uh, Sundance Film Festival, and I'm glad we got to see it today and do an episode on it. And I will be watching it for years to come, because this is just a, a fantastic film. So it's, a again, a four and a half out of five yeah. for me. And it's my second uh, ranked film out of the 60 I've seen so far this year, so I absolutely love this movie. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, um, thank you very much to to our listeners. If anybody out there, and there's not many of you who have actually seen this film uh, already and have uh, thoughts on it, always feel free to send them to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. I have a feeling that more people will see the next film we're talking about. Maybe. Just a hunch. Maybe. Let's coach I had to think about what we were doing. <laughs> you son of a bitch. This fucking guy. And then Dread came over me. Oh, come oh, on. That's a good movie. Dread. Oh. Not that Dread. <laughs> I wish. So, so the film we are seeing. Carl Urban represent. Yeah, anyway. Carl Urban. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, I, we, that we movie works that. because there's like, he's wearing a mask. A mask, yeah. It's not really. Isn't yeah. Olivia Thurlby in that yeah. too? Yeah. yeah. Made it out of Juno Alive. And Lena Headey. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah from cool. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah sure. So, anyways... We're film, not doing Dread. No. The film we are talking about is uh, the film that is projected to make $300 million in its first weekend, which is an unrealistic expectation. However, uh, I'm sure we'll still do very well at the theater. We're watching X-Men Days of Future Past, the Rogue Cut. Yes. We are going to see a film with Rogue in the title, oh, and it actually found a way to get its title into the trailer, which is a real work of art. Uh, but Rogue One... Uh, Do you expect anything less from Gareth Edwards, director of Godzilla? I don't. Um, The final trailer of this film, as we talked about before starting this episode... Well, according to some reviews, it's the only trailer, considering the first trailer apparently is not what the movie has. Okay. Um, (laughs) The the final trailer of this film was very concerning for me, and also... uh, Awful. Which which part? Um, Basically, uh, I... The fact that it was in Spanish was weird. Um. A, um, okay, I'm dead. I, I thank thank you for turning your mic off, Nick. Uh, I still like the visuals of it. There were there wasn't anything like the the number one moment of any of these trailers of the Rogue One, which I think there were three full length trailers. Uh, the Tie Fighter flying up mm-hmm. and meeting uh, the main character. I mean, that's just there's nothing for me that gets much better than that. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, the dialogue, and it's trailer yeah. dialogue, so that's what it is, uh, was absolutely fucking awful. Save and the rebellion! Save the dream! Yeah, that was bad. Forrest Whitaker also. Has he done anything that is great? Yes. Uh, since... Oh. <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Man, we're really... 
seeing that. We're going with that. Okay. Uh, the Last King of Scotland. I was going to say, since yeah. The Last King of Scotland... I was going to say that he is a integral part of probably my favorite season of television ever made, which is season five of FX The Shield, Okay. Uh, in which he was not just a villain, but literally a catalyst of pure emotional and character-driven charge that that show and many other shows I didn't think were possible. Well, like, oh, that is... I am giving oh, Forrest Whitaker yeah. that kind of credit, considering I don't normally... Quick, care just quick tally, like, yes. the, the, the Shield, I mean, I've heard uh, great... This, the, 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 yep, with Michael Chiklis. Yes, yeah. that's that's the one we're talking about, right? Yep. Yeah, top, like, where would you rank that in your, like, best, like... It's in my top five ever shows. That is... It's really quickly, just want to throw this out there. It's not it's above a, the wire, It's a it? TV... Um, if I were to rewatch one, I would rewatch The Shield. Okay. I, I can understand anybody basically claiming that The Wire is more important, The Wire is more complex, The Wire is more whatever. But The Shield is probably the most underrated television show ever made because people only are going to see it as pulp when they, they need to watch the whole thing. And also, I will say this. That has the greatest dramatic series finale ever made. If you want to see how a show should end itself, like end... Uh, watch that entire show because otherwise the finale won't actually mean anything. Are you saying having a machine gun come out of your trunk and shoot everybody and close all the what, holes is not what you. breaking <laughs> what what breaking bad was what what breaking bad's finale was to that show the shield is on the other end of the spectrum as to actually living up to its uh, toxic main character's uh, persona mm. and uh, sensibilities wow. to the point where when that show ends it will not make you feel better about yourself for having spent time with that character which Breaking Bad's finale tried to jerk off his audience and call it art and do that <laughs> and I fucking hate that finale yeah. anyway. uh, Forrest Whitaker was also in the film Payphone yeah, I thought that he was great. In that. Really glad he brought that up. I actually think Forrest Whitaker is actually a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of people, I don't think know what to do with Forrest. Whitaker. He just fades into the into the woodwork yeah. with his weird twitchy eye. And Cl- clearly, with this trailer, they didn't know what to do. With him. This <laughs> that film. is that is that is true as well. It's uh, what yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Will you do? They were just excited to get a black guy who has a droopy eye. I mean, it's, <laughs> and uh, robot legs. How dare you? <laughs> Oh, no, man. but there were so many moments in that in that trailer. Whether it's the uh, I can't remember all any of the characters' names now. Uh, Rogue, and I feel like Rogue I'm, One. I feel like I'm just being racist saying anything about them because everyone seems the to be lady, a different ethnicity. Jin Erso is the main character. Yeah. Okay. That's Alan Tudyk Bot. He's, he's not talking about yeah. that. And the- Okay. I don't um, care. The, la- the Latino coast. Diego Luna, I know who that is. The the Asian guy is the one I'm referring Which one? to. He's like the magical <laughs> the magical person who they find. I thought you were gonna say the magical Negro. There's a lot of <laughs> magical people in Star Wars. They're <laughs> Jedi. Thank you, that's son. not magical. That's faith. I I don't know. I. I have so many concerns here, but at the same time... So many questions. I, I am so fucking pumped to see this because I just want to see what happens with Darth Vader. I'm excited Vader. because yeah, we're going that's to, a, it. We're going to really. see a theater that serves alcohol. So. Yeah, that's I, a part of it. And Tucson's driving me. <laughs> I want to see if this film does anything other than having some sort of large-scale massacre at the end of it of no! all the characters. I don't see any other way that that comes up. So I, 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 I hope so. I... I 
I just want to know what it's I don't want to see these characters again. <laughs> Um, well, you're right. Like, so that'll be interesting. Like, so how will they Disneyfy that? Like, we know that they all have to die, right? Like, right. that's that's they in there. All so went back to their like home a, planet. Hopefully, it's like a Seven Samurai thing, which is you know by the mm-hmm. spoilers for Seven Samurai. <laughs> but the idea is that these noble heroes, you know, lead a rebellion, so to speak, uh, and war has consequences. Which mm-hmm. the Star Wars and Vox, uh, a site that I normally don't really care for, but Vox actually wrote a pretty astute uh, headline and article. But that essentially said that Rogue One, and I haven't even seen the movie, but Rogue One is the first movie in a, in the Star Wars canon to actually acknowledge the consequences of war, which is very true. Oh, I hate that. Okay, I've seen that that, that fucking headline. And I was just like, it's the first time where it actually acknowledges it's about war. Right, war is in the fucking Dude, name of the wait, franchise. Are you are you serious? Hold on, no, 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 back up. Are you going to be one of those? Just, just for a second. Hold, hold, stop, stop right now. You have in the last Star Wars film, uh, they destroy multiple planets at yeah. the same time, and there's never the a movie mention. Has, it has always it been a, It has always been a space opera. It has never <laughs> yeah. been a war film, even if. <laughs> Tucson is so confused right now. This I know you killed children in the in the third prequel. Yeah, you it's saw a lot that I don't even die. remember that scene that that happened. But uh, Princess Leia essentially witnesses entire destructions in the original trilogy of whatever planet that she whatever. I mean, you really think that these have been war films? No, there, there's there's no trench scene. There's no it, it and any of the. You say that, but what is your defense against that? I don't understand. I, is, I'm, maybe we're. I don't want you to be. Okay, 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 I saw okay, the okay, comments okay, of that okay. article. Okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying comments. to be the comment section of a box article. But Star Wars don't, has never been about war. Ever, ever accuse me of being the comment section of a box article. Okay, but I'm just like. <laughs> But <laughs> it has been about I, I, a guy I, 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 who I, 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 has to choose between good and evil every time. That is it. You're right. Okay. You're right. Thank okay. You. It's like, and everyone is related, by the way. Yep. Okay. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> trying to parse out, I was like, okay, it's the first film that's really been about war. No, okay. about no, no, that's the not, consequences that's of war. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which, in my opinion, makes it more of a war film than mm-hmm. any of the other films. That All right. But yeah. none of the films have been yeah. war films. Right. Also, it, too, you can show... that There hasn't been a war in the film. There's been wars in this film. Okay, just that does been not make them a war, war film. It, right. You know, I mean, that, that, is, that is not to actually define the genre in which they inhabit. They All are right. clearly spaced operas yeah. in which people profess silly things in the midst of galactic battles. You know, Thetans. But, it, it always comes down to can somebody shoot a fucking target? It never actually comes down to whether casualties will be the end of, re, you know, or resources will deplete or any of the actual things that happen in a war, despite yeah. the fact that they're fucking called right. Star you're, Wars. You're, 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 and, and also, too. So I haven't even seen the movie, but I will die on that hill. And, and I am, uh, we no, saw hey, X Wing hey, pilots, like, die on, okay. in, the, in the last uh, run. I, I for the am, what Death are their Star. names? <laughs> what are their names? I, I, I am, they were proud, is what they were. I am. One of, I won't say the biggest because that's clearly not the case, but I am a huge fucking Star Wars fan and I love the series, undoubtedly, and I own all of the prequels and have watched them all multiple times, which is a fan of the series, all right? That's something to be proud of, I guess. The the (laughs) emotional crux of this fucking entire galaxy is the dying version of your greatest villain of all time throwing an old fucking dilapidated emperor down a tube and having lightning explode at the bottom of it. <laughs> or how about for some reason there's a ceremony devoted to the three 
protagonist for no real reason. I mean, I, mm. you know, I mean these, these it, movies, and I'm not saying this makes some bad movies, mm. but they've never been about war. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, sure. So I mean, but, but isn't that okay? So well, so the, the greatest acts of cruelty here. So if we have the Starbase killer, was the one that blew up the five? Yeah, planets. Star so, so Killer you Base. That, you have Alderaan. You have Anakin going after the uh, children. The, the children, and yeah. also after the uh, Tusken Raiders. You know, after he, Starship that, Troopers is more accurate in depicting <laughs> war than a Star Wars. Thing. You know what? I don't even. Well, <laughs> I don't well, even. Let me, let me close my, my point here, which is that you know, like you know, you, you, what you're saying is that you're. It's not quite Deer Hunter. You know, in terms of showing the true face of war, like we, yeah. but I mean, so so here's here's I think this is a question. Not to I know we're I'm start, we're starting to go into Marvel territory here. I'm out of conversation. <laughs> I turn about it again. Well, yeah. hey, hey, so, at, but, at least we've had the episode first. I was going to say, exactly, at least we exactly. waited. This is after. So, you know. but uh, where was I going to go with this? Uh, so, um, so here's the here's the question. Just as we've seen, so the success of Deadpool. Maybe we talked about this before. Deadpool has now pushed the Wolverine or Logan. I'm sorry, Logan is now going to be an R-rated movie. Yeah. So the question is, will, will Disney Disney starts, you know, kind of dipping their beak into this. It's like, can we be a little Star bit Wars. more edgy no, for Star Wars? So. Absolutely not. Think no. so. They won't even do it for their now. own. In fact, they're only doing the, the, like Logan and Deadpool because those are Fox properties first. Like those sure, are, sure. you know, they're not owned do, by do, Disney. Do, do we remember? And I know that it wasn't this necessarily at first. Do, does anybody remember how much of a deal it was when you had some of the darkness of the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, which is only 13 years ago? No, because I was yeah. young at the point okay. when that came out sure. where I was like, everything's dark. But you you have you have people being like, holy shit, they're but yeah. having this I mean, I, in pirate movie where people are getting murdered and that kind of thing in a Disney film. In hindsight, I totally agree. Especially yeah, because they were large-scale productions. Pirates. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because I I know they're owned by Disney, but they that was the first time in which they targeted the Disney audience, but they were large-scale productions of genuine PG-13 thrillers, so yeah. to speak. You know, like, and they weren't... It wasn't kids first, ask questions later. It was actual, like... Bring your kids because you know we want to scare the crap out of them. But and yet uh, they also at the same time in that very film. Uh, and actually, if anything, I, I think I, they softened over. Like I feel like the first time that they kind of arrived, like the the very first movie, no one really expected it to be as like chilling and as weird. And- well, it was chilling. I mean, you had some guy bleeding to death in the moonlight after fighting out. Holy shit, I can die. Yeah. Uh, you also had total light made of the fact that there's these skeletons who, uh, you know, are people when they're not in the moonlight. And shake, skeletons. shake, shake, Sonora. And you have th- this, this comic moment where there's the skeletons fighting uh, Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. They stick a bomb inside the skeletons, push mm. them away from the moonlight. They can't get the bomb out and then the skeletons explode and it's like oh, that's hilarious yeah and yet holy shit you just fucking blew people up in a disney movie yeah. you know well, it's it's weird that um it, that you bring this pirates of the caribbean up because uh we saw in the trailer ben Mendelssohn character who is clearly a villain right i mean that's pretty much right power yeah but uh go up to felicity jones character and and say you Oh, you believe in war stories? Well, you best because you're in one now. (laughs) 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 Oh my god! I almost didn't get through that. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. We talked about in the villains episode earlier this year. That is one of my favorite moments of all time in any film. You like the Pirates of the Caribbean? 
the fuck out of here. That was that was that was the one of the first times I remember CGI being good. Was that scene? Yeah. For me, it was Flubber. Good. Uh, I'm glad. The original Flubber. We talked about this right before we started the podcast. We're talking about the original Flubber. The original Flubber oh, is actually original a quite Flubber. entertaining old timey movie. Yeah. Yeah. I've never actually seen it. It's probably better than the Robin <laughs> Williams version. A lot of things are. So yeah. Um. But we're going to talk more about Rogue One. Uh, obviously, I think we're done. We're all going to have opinions, uh, and who knows whether we will like it or not. Um, I have a pretty strong feeling that there will not be a unanimous reaction to this film as there was for Force Awakens. But we'll see. And we'll see, too, because this is such a interesting moment for A, Disney, and for Star Wars at the same time. Because this is clearly a Star Wars film, but at the same time, it's clearly not. And it's it's such a odd mm-hmm. spot. And I, um, I feel like a lot of people, and why I'm very hesitant to say that this film is going to make a billion dollars and just blow through the box office, is because I don't know how the public is going to react to this film, because this is in such a weird spot. And for the most part... These shoot-off properties have not carried the success of the main um, of the main parent of, of these kind of universes, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, good. We're all in agreement. Great. Thank yeah. you, guys. <laughs> all right, so Rogue One coming up on episode 94. In case uh, you couldn't guess. Yeah. And we'll be talking about that here on FilmTankShow.com, also on iTunes or Stitcher. And as always, you can sometimes find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. As always, a huge thank you to Brian Turnbaugh for uh, joining us. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. And uh, we'll always a pleasure. Obviously, be finding another time to catch up with you, and likely in our next episode with you, we'll be talking about the film Coherence, yeah. which um, I'm probably by far the lowest on out of all four of us right now. But it, even though I'm saying that. It is a film that everybody, A, I think, should at least see if they are into the kind of things that Coherence is doing. And um, definitely a film that you cannot watch once and then not want to watch again, yep. no matter what you like it or not. So something to think about in the future. So yeah. thank you again, Brian, and uh, from myself, as well as Toussaint. And Nick. Hey. 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 Thank you very much to everyone out there, and we'll catch up with you next time. Hey.